0: Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 260.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show, episode
0: 260, do you believe it? 260 episodes of Dose of Leadership, three years plus and running. Thank you for your support. So happy you're tuning into the show, the show where we talk about the topic of leadership because it's central to everything that we do. We bring in all time of top thought leaders, military leaders, faith-based leaders, everyday folks like you and I talking about this sometimes elusive topic or subject or nebulous topic of leadership, but we try to break it down and make it simple because it is easy to understand, more difficult to put into play because of the authenticity of the vulnerability to transparency. Those are the real currencies you need to be an effective leader. You just need to opt in too. You don't need to go to any seminars or buy any books or hire an executive coach. Even though I'd be happy to help you in that journey. If so, shameless plug, I know. But honestly, leadership is for everyone. You just need to opt in. Leadership principles didn't aren't invented by anybody. They just exist. They are. They're there for your taking. They're there for your discovery. You just need to opt in, right? Understand that leadership is a teachable skill. Leadership follows a set of laws. You learn those laws, you're going to learn how to lead. If you ignore them, well, it's always going to be a challenge for you. And hopefully, dose of leadership is one of the great many resources that you're using in your leadership journey. This is a free resource. Hopefully, you're finding some value. And today on episode 260, other fireside chat number three with my good friend Devin Walker. I love these fireside chats. They're just kind of free flowing. You know, really no agenda. We actually just turn on the recording and see where it goes because um, I love talking with Devin. He he is a great thought leader in the terms of leadership and success. He just signed a book deal, and he just finished his manuscript today, I think, actually, as I'm recording this, and I'm excited to see his first of three books coming out with Motivational Press, and in this, this episode, we talk about the topic of love. He uh, actually spoke the day before we recorded this, and he was there to see it, and I spoke about Leadership is Love a lot. That's a central theme in a lot of my speeches, because it is, and I've said this before that the... I talked about this in uh, my solo episode a couple back about how the Marine Corps was one of the most loving organizations. So we broached that topic a lot. He asked me, he kind of turned the tables on me and was asking me a lot of questions. And uh, it's it's a great fun conversation. Again, we're all about how leadership is love. And hopefully if you doubt that, hopefully after this episode, you will realize how true that is. It's a really fun conversation. I really think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, again, if you, you're more interested in Devin Walker, he's starting his speaking career. He's been speaking a lot, but he's really ramping it up. He's got this new book coming out. You can find out more at DevinWalker.com. Check him out. Um, and again, if you're finding value in Dose of Leadership, I highly encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review to this show. It helps so much for the visibility of this show. We continue to grow steadily month after month with your support, you spreading the word, telling your friends, your family, your coworkers about this show. And if you are finding some value, again, it's free, no advertising. But if you're so inclined and you want to, you can go to patreon.com slash doseofleadership or you can go to doseofleadership.com and click on the left side banner support us on Patreon. It's in the menu item as well. And you can financially support the show. It would mean a lot. It goes a long way. You know, I bootstrap this and do this all on my own. And any support that you can help would help me in my entrepreneurial journey to see my dreams. And of course, your support would be greatly and highly appreciated. Find out more, again, at patreon.com slash leadership. And again, if you're interested in coaching, speaking, myself, I do one-on-one coaching, group coaching, and speaking for any event, go to richardryerson.com, and you can click out and find out more information and how you can mastermind with me, do group coaching, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, again, send me an email at richarddoseofleadership.com, and let me know where you're in your journey. Okay, without further ado, here is the third Fireside Chat talking about love and leadership Fireside Chat number 3 on Dose of Leadership. Well, Devin, here we are. Fireside Chat number 3. It's been a few weeks since our last one. What's going on?
2: Uh, not a lot's going on, but actually I got to the opportunity to uh, attend one of your speaking engagements today. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what did you think? Oh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I actually might want to turn the tables here and uh, start, start it off by asking you a question. Okay, well, what? Shoot. Well, I, I was really intrigued. I mean, and I think I think our audience would be really fascinated to know your viewpoint on one of the things you said. You said that your time that you spent in the Marine Corps and being around the Marines and that you you viewed the Marine Corps as the most loving organization that you'd ever come across mm-hmm. and been involved in. And I wondered, is that... How much? How far does it go beyond uh, just the brotherhood of being in the military? Mm, good question. Um, yeah, I just like to—I'd like to know what how, validate the, that statement because I mean, what, I think everybody out there when we think of Marines, <laughs> yeah, we right. certainly don't, don't think don't of know. warm, cuddly, unless it's Toys for Tots yeah. drive. But I mean, these are guys that are—they're let's say so, they're trained to kill. Well, I think
0: yeah, you're right, and, and I and I certainly. Um, yeah, warm and cuddly, I wouldn't say was my experience with the Marine Corps, but there was a, um, you know, I also said in that presentation, I I also kind of have an image. I said, yeah, I want to be in the Marine Corps. I want to be part of something bigger than myself, you know, internally. And so I get to, you know, the officer candidate school and the guy's yelling at me, telling me you don't have any command presence. And I'm thinking, yeah, I got to be this Billy badass. And. You know, I had this image of what I wanted to look like, but, I, I you know, there's, no matter how hard I tried, I would never do it. And that was kind of a fo- folly because it just made me look stupid, you know. If I tried to be something that I wasn't. Trying to be that. Yeah.
2: Trying, that would be ingenuine.
0: You're right. And it doesn't fit my personality. It doesn't fit the genetic makeup I was born with, the, the characteristics that how I look. I It just would be stupid. And I've seen a lot of guys and leaders inside and outside the Marine Corps that tried to do that. And I'm guilty of it early on, but it didn't take me very long to figure I can't do this. And the reason why it didn't take me very long is because I saw uh, at the time was Colonel Peter Pace. I don't know if you've ever heard of Peter Pace. He was actually uh, on the chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff Mm. and very skinny guy, very skinny
2: in my experience, there's a lot of Marines that are
0: yeah, I mean, what you would
2: consider to be very thin.
0: Yeah, he was almost gaunt, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he was very quiet, and he was very soft spoken and he didn't talk much above this level. And I'm like, how is that, you know, he, did, he didn't He did fit to It wasn't that, Jack Nicholson right, from... <laughs> exactly, yeah.
2: right?
0: And he started telling a story about when he was a second lieutenant in Vietnam. So this was 92, so he was, you know, he joined in 6970 so he's 23 years into his career you know he 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 just got selected for one star general he started telling this story about his first platoon and he said you know we have all these images you know platoon was still kind of fret you know wasn't that old of a movie then Oh, oh okay and um what's the one from the 70s with marlon brando um Charlie Sheen, you know. Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, you know, and all those kind of...
2: Deer Hunter. Deer
0: Hunter, and all those yeah. kind of telling what really happened in Vietnam. And he says, and I got to tell you, he goes, it wasn't anything like any of those movies that we've seen. He goes, Platoon, in a, in a sense, but a lot of this, like, the disrespect and the people that didn't... I don't want to be here. He says, all of my guys wanted to be here. And we loved each other deeply. And it was just amazing to hear him talk about it. And he started to, He was just telling about things that happened and how he lost half of his guys. He lost half of them. And, you know, and every year on the same time he goes to the graves, and every, every he'd done it for 20 years, he goes to the graves, and he says a little prayer and talks to every single one of them. And he's sitting there, he's telling the story, and you could hear a pin drop, and his eyes are watered up. All of us are watered up. And he just, it, it was hard to explain, but he was just expressing this love that I hadn't really seen, particularly a, a Marine do mm-hmm. or an officer do. Mm-hmm. And then the more I started looking at that and hearing stories and meeting World War II Marines and guys that had just seen stuff that would just, you know, use like, how in the world? You know, they're 17, 18, just doing things that, you know, I'm trying to buy beer and a fake ID when I'm 17 is, you know, the extent of my stress. And they're storming the beaches in Normandy and it just
2: floors me. Speaking of that, I want to hear, I would like you to share that story of the Normandy, World War II vet that you sat next to because... The thing that that he closes that story is what he told you because we're we're really I mean our topic today is turned out to be love yeah you know and and you talk to me a lot about how I'm always giving and mm-hmm. and you'll see I mean it's a common theme with me love is a common theme with me right you know I mean I, I'm talking about it all the time I quote you know mm-hmm. um, and people might look at that and be like oh how how sappy or how weak. Maybe they think. Yeah. But the more the more real, genuine leaders you meet, you find out that they are the most loving people yeah, in the world. Good. And uh that that that's why that part of your speech today resonated with me because it was I was glad you said that to that the audience. The audience was all local business leaders and uh Anyway, I would like for you to tell the World War II story.
0: Well, about the, my friend that I had, and the, oh yeah, that yeah. So there's Jim, and Jim's been on the show, and I've highlighted his story on, on Dose of Leadership, and and you know, Cliff Note version lied was 16 when Pearl Harbor broke out, and he says I got to be a part of this. You know, mom was dead. His dad was an alcoholic, working in the oil fields. Didn't really. He was just. Kind of by himself. This was down in Oklahoma. Down in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he says, I'm going to go join. Marine Corps said, You're too young. You got to be 17. And if you're 17, you got to be, you know, parents' consent, okay. you know. But we'll take you if you're 17. You're too. Oh, he's, I'm sorry. He was 15 at the time. And he said, You got to be 17, we'll take you to 16 with your parents', parents consent. consent okay. And. I don't know March April he turned sixteen and forty two, and uh, told his dad, "Look, you're going to go vouch for me and and let me get in the Marine Corps, or I'm going to go, join or I'm the going Canadian to go to the Canadian Army. Navy, you know, because they're taking sixteen year olds without any consent." Gotcha. Dad said, "Well, I don't want you to go be a Canadian, so let's go <laughs> down and sign you up." And they did, you know. And then he just and, he t- and I'd listen to his stories and it was just like a living museum and it's the the pictures that he had that oh it's just amazing and. Anyway, he was on first, I think he was 17, and he was on Guadalcanal at the very end, you know, so he didn't, he went on the first waves. They were just kind of mopping things up. But that, he so said, that was when the first time he realized he could be killed, he hit the beach, and it was secure, but he just kind of landed to go be some replacements. And he said, like, stacked up like cordwood, there were these rolls. And he said, what the heck is that? And they were Marines rolled up in these kind of mattress like things that they would bury people mm. in. They were kind of like, they would roll them wow. up in some things. And he said they were stacked up about 10 feet high and all he saw were the boots and the things rolled up and they were getting ready to mass bury. He, wow. And that was the first time he said, God, I could get killed doing this. <laughs> it never occurred to him that he could get killed. Wow. you know. And you, but yeah, I guess you're 17 and you're like, I can do anything. you know. Uh-huh. And then he was in another uh, campaign. on, I think it was on Tarawa, I think. or I can't remember. Tarawa or Pelu. Anyway, he was in a standing in a spot and a buddy just said corman navy corman said come over here he says why just come over here moved and exact footprints some of the marine come in the exact footprints in the sand and a mar- got hit right in the forehead with a, by a japanese sniper and killed him and it's just like his corman just felt compelled to mm. pull him away from that for whatever reason and i met that Corman too. They were friends, and he lived in Oklahoma, too, when I became friends, and they were telling these stories, and I'm just floored. But anyway, to kind of sum it up, to get to the point that I want to get to, is that he, he was on the first wave of Iwo Jima, mm. and Iwo Jima for the Marine Corps is like, right? man, that's sacred ground. Right. I mean, you know, 7,000 Marines dead, 28,000 wounded on a, you know, one and a half mile by three mile stretch of land. It's just phenomenal, yeah. you know. You can't yeah. even imagine those kind of casualties. And those are more casualties than we've had in the entire Afghanistan Gulf War right. since 2001, you know, yeah. or two. And uh, anyway, he gets shot on the 17th day,
2: bullet through the back. And it was the first time he'd actually first time seen he'd ever an enemy. He
0: saw a, a Japanese, live Japanese soldier in that whole 17 days. He never saw and anything.
2: A, and saw one and shot him. And he gets
0: over this berm, and he's like, oh, my God. And there's like, I don't know, 40 yards away uh, a Japanese soldier with a machine gun. He says, oh, my God. He rolls back over. He's rolling back over to go in this kind of defilade position. felt like a hot poker went right through his back, through his kidney, or in this kidney area out his stomach. And he just felt all this wet blood. And he's like, he tried to get up and run, and he couldn't. And he's like, "Uh, this is it. And he was just staring at the sky not wanting to look at his wound because he just pictured, you know, the worst. That same corpsman I was telling you about that on the other line just happened to be running by at this time. And he said, hey, you know, I forget his name. I think it was Mike. He said, Mike, I'm hit. He said, oh, Jim, yeah. He goes, you're going to be all right, buddy. Just a small little wound, man. You're going to be just fine. When he told me the story in person, when he first saw me, he said, oh, yeah, he was dead. That's the first thing he thought. He said he's not going to make this it. is what Jim you know. told you. Yeah. Well, the Corman, he the was corpsman, the, okay. He said, yeah, I thought he was dead. Oh. But I just tell him that he was going to be okay. Small wound. Uh, yeah. Okay. And he patched him up, sulfur powder, gave him a morphine shot. Morphine shot back to the – and just a couple of stretcher guys running by. He says, hey, take this back guy back to the beach. In and out of a morphine stupor, as he wakes up out of it, he's about to get stuck with another thing of morphine, which, right. would kill which is him. fatal.
2: Fatal. He said, That's a, why they mark an, an M an M on his forehead, right. well, in, the, in your own blood, usually. Yeah. Yep. And he's like, "I'm good."
0: He's like, "You sure?" He goes, "I'm positive. I had one. Don't like, okay." Sat on the beach while Finally gets pushed out to the hospital ship out in the in the ocean there and he says man maybe i'm gonna make it i'm still conscious maybe i'm gonna make it gets to the hospital ship and he's like sorry folks ends full <laughs> you know yeah. you need to we're go back at to the capacity beach. We're at capacity you need to go back to the beach and he said that was the lowest feeling in his life he says oh my god i'm i gotta go back to that damn beach and the whole time in iwo jima the whole campaign the beach was never out of enemy right because it's so smaller right, than i am yeah. right? and uh so he's in there, and there was an Army Reserve officer helping out the Marines, the Navy docks, and everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He says, "Son, we're going to do this right here; otherwise, you're not going to make it through the night." On the beach. On the beach, in a dugout position, puts him under, which with, would
2: have doubled as a grave, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> puts him under with ether or whatever they did, you know, right there on the beach, and pulls out his—gross, his he's but his all of his intestines to examine it. That bullet missed every major organ, missed his spine by, you know, millimeters, uh-huh. missed his kidney by millimeters, missed the bulk of his small intestine, uh, I'm sorry, large intestine, hit a section of his small intestine, that you know, maybe about, I don't know, a, t- a foot and a half worth, and that was it. Cut that, cut that, put it together. And you can already think, he's on a beach. That's going to kill, the septic shock, uh-huh. you know...
2: Stitched it back together. Stitched it huh? back
0: together and he he lived it went to recovered in Hawaii and the war was over. And I saw the letter that was in his breast pocket from his aunt that was sitting in that lower breast pocket, that the bullet mm-hmm. hole right through it, the blood stain. I seen the scars in his bullet back. hole
2: through his uniform, through his body, through the letter, letter. from his aunt that he got.
0: Yeah. I saw the letter from the doctor that was just incredulous that he survived. He just figured, well, he's going to die in a couple of days from septic shock. There's no way. I mean, I guess what, you know, it's not like it's a very sterile environment on a volcanic ash island, Right. you know, sulfur all around you and everything. And it's just like, good Lord. And I'm thinking this guy has got to have had a purpose to, to stay alive. And what was going, and so I tell that whole story and for people who haven't heard it, because when he was sick, he, he since passed away last Memorial, right on a it would be a year ago, this Memorial Day. He passed away Memorial Day weekend, which was just fitting wow. for him to pass yeah. away on, right? Yeah. And he uh, he was in a hospital, I don't know, three or four years ago, and we, I took me, and my daughters went to go see him, and visit him. And he's telling me these stories again. I've heard these stories 20 times, and he's telling me it again. And he's sitting there with his wife. And I said, Jim, you know, I'm always amazed by these stories. I said, "What was the biggest takeaway? If you had to look back and reflect, what was the biggest takeaway from all of that—that that, you know, blood and trauma and just seeing the worst depravity and humanity and death and destruction? What's the biggest takeaway you got from all that experience?" And he said, "I learned how to love another human being, really, truly love another human being. The whole thing to me was about love."
2: And I was like. That's the last thing I would have expected to hear. And
0: his wife... Or you would think that, you you know. And his wife teared up, and she's like, it's true, he's the most loving man I have ever met. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Wow. And my heart is just like, oh, my God. And he says it's true. And he says you can't describe the amount of love. And you talk. You ask the question of his, well, it was brotherhood and this and that. And yeah, that's there. And of course, if you go through, if you and I go, th- we get that. If you and I experience something traumatic, traumatic that no one else could, there's imagine, a bond in There's a bond that will never be broken. That and only. There's you a bond only... in
2: going to boot camp. There's a bond sure. in lots of things, right?
0: And so you get, but you get to that extreme of human which is the extreme of extremes of humanity. Yeah, so I get that.
2: Do you have to be pushed to extremes I before as know. a leader you start to understand that genuinely loving those around you and those under you and the people you come in contact with?
0: I don't think I think and that's why I guess I fall in love with those stories because it gives me a sense of appreciation to say or perspective to go all right, I can love deeper. Now, I can't just like I don't know what it's like to, I have no, I I can try to empathize and try to put myself in that situation, but I, so as you could never fully understand until you fully experience it, but I think that's why those stories are so important, but the fact that he said that, and, but to kind of piggyback off that, I think that not, not only the brotherhood piece and experiencing that kind of grit, grind, trauma thing, which would cause this bond that even his wife can't even understand the fact that he made the choice because in that same conversation his wife brought up a point he had a good friend and he still friend he was still friends with him but his friend chose another path even though they went through the same experience his friend chose a completely different path and even up to that day even at that point he said yeah i just saw him last week and he still, up to that point, he's since passed away too. But he was like, those goddamn Japs, I'll never do this, you know. Screw those guys. They killed my buddy, blah, blah, And you can understand where that's mm. coming from. You understand that. I know where it's coming from. But even Jim said at the time, he said, it's so sad to me. Because the love path, you know. Mm-hmm. So two guys experienced pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And one guy chose... Scarcity and hate for the rest of his life.
2: How did that affect his success? Do you know? You Overall? It's a good
0: question. You mean the guy
2: that, the that hate. carried the hate? Yeah, the one carried the hate, one carried the love.
0: I don't know, but I, I don't know his full story. But mm. I, I, his wife, just based on what Jim's saying, it's really kind of sad. And his wife saying, yeah, it really is a shame, tells me that he didn't live as fully as he could have. Mm. Whereas Jim. Right. Was, you know, I mean, he touched everybody. He influenced that. I mean, you, you go to the funeral and it's like, you know, it's like, like, man, that guy touched my life. He did this. You know, and he didn't even try. It's just the fact that he did that and chose love, you know, that spread yeah. like a virus. And he didn't even know. He didn't even know the people he's impacted because, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, yeah. And the, the same thing, the other guy probably spread like a virus. I mean, I can't That's imagine angry, what his family was like. Oh, anger. Well, God, why did we just let it go and, I don't get it and I don't know. What do you think?
2: I I agree. I mean, you know, it's it's common knowledge you carry if you carry a poison inside of you, it's like holding a hot coal. You know, if you carry hate, it's like holding a hot coal you're waiting to throw at somebody else. It doesn't do any doesn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. Does you more damage than anything else. What was Jim's full name and rank?
0: His full name was Jim Goodrich, James Goodrich, he went by sometime, and I think the highest rank he achieved was an E5, was a sergeant. I think that was what he got out at, okay. an E5, but an amazing man, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's just a guy that you never would have, and that's the thing, there's probably, well, with anything, not just Rick. with vets, but that's why I love capturing people's stories about yeah. love and about, because it is, if you don't have it, And I think from the leadership thing going back to it, it is the basis of all leadership,
2: even... It's genuine, it
0: genuine love. It has to be. If I it's agree. not there, it's really not leadership, in my opinion. I, agree. Then just kind of I feel like
2: there's things. a perception out there that, especially yeah. against men that tell each other they love each other, I feel like people, a majority of the population thinks that it's weak or, a sour, or sappy. I don't know the right word I'm looking for, but the funny yeah, thing is, I mean, we, we run in a group of you know, other successful entrepreneurs together. And we all tell each other we love each other every time we see each
0: other. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that, and we, you know, we made that. And I know these people don't know about our group, group, but it's, you know, just a a group of individuals that we decided to, and if you look, if you lined us up in a lineup, you would say, there's no way these guys would be friends. They look completely different, (laughs) you know. They come from completely different backgrounds. But even we make it, we made a choice, and this is for the listeners, we made a choice like, okay, every time we meet, we're gonna give each other a hug to make sure our hearts touch, and I know that may sound mm-hmm. cheesy, and it's like, well, how's that that's not manly? And I'm like, I disagree, you know yeah. what I mean, yeah, I don't know, I think mo I think it's we're certainly farther Do along you think there's a
2: shift in all of society, I think that so. we're seeing more of that because of the acceptance of different lifestyles and or what do you think is causing that shift? I think there is a shift.
0: I would agree. I think there's a shift because, and I don't know it's because of the changing lifestyles or anything like that or acceptance. And I don't mean it to be, you know, some people would argue like, well, it's the, you know, chickification of, you know, of, like men not being men. I disagree with that. I think that, um, what are they going to, I, I think. I think what's starting to happen, and maybe it's part of technology and society and everything, but I think that authenticity and transparency is becoming so normal because there's no place to hide. I mean, people see through the phoniness. And maybe it's because of technology and social media. There's no place to hide. You can't hide anymore. Right. And I don't know if that is a technological, cultural, you know, cultural thing that's driven by technology because you can't, you can't fake it anymore. Or if people are just f- so fed up with the BS and a lot of people still don't get it I think that's why we see what we see in the political climate you know that Mm. the people that are still trying to hang on to whatever Mm -hmm. they still don't get that people are tired of being lied to But but then it still surprises me that we still are attracted to kind of demagoguery charismatic type you know what I mean? We still have, you know, you and I can sit here and tell us that this is changing. But then if you look at the people that are still emulated in society more than ever, oh, they're yeah. not those
2: they're right. you're people. Right. You're right. But are they, are, would they be considered to be leaders?
0: No, not in my book. Genuine leaders? No. And that's what's no. frustrating is like, how is this the best that we can do really?
2: as For leaders, right. For leaders. Yeah, you're right.
0: And I, but I do think a lot of the backlash that you see, or a lot of the what people don't, and the and the people and the media and everything, they're, they're they're not confused. I'm not confused by it. I understand the anger. I don't understand the, I don't understand the blind allegiance to a a, a leader like that, a political leader. I don't understand it at all. But it, but you look at like, I mean, you've read Good to Great, right? Right. And you're very. We're close familiar with that. Remember even Jim Collins, and that was written 15 years ago. You know, that was written 15, 16 years ago. And even Jim Collins was surprised, the empirical evidence. He wasn't looking for any of that. Le- the best chapter in the book is the Level 5 Leadership in, chapter, in my opinion, where we, he talks about that, the the truly effective, great leaders who build sustainable legacies, that businesses that last forever and ever and ever, right, long after they're gone. Yeah. Understand that love, peace, but they understand that it's not about.
2: Henry Ford. In, we still talk about him a century yeah, later. Yeah. You know, we still look to him, and good leaders emulate him.
0: But, you know, like, like, I mean, let's talk about, I mean, Trump. I mean, I don't understand this. I don't, I understand the phenomenon on one side, but I don't on one other. Look, why would you be so attracted to that kind of.
2: Well, we've, I feel like our, in society, we've created a perfect storm where we. Of celebrity, basically, and maybe that's, maybe that's it. That's you know, yeah, it's we, the
0: celebrity piece that we're so attracted to.
2: I mean, we constantly follow the Kardashians or Kanye or you know, I mean, they've or the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I mean, people know the celebrity is who they look to as leaders now. And I'm not saying some celebrities can't be leaders. Ronald no. Reagan was a leader. I mean, you know, what I mean, I mean, there are leaders that have become that were celebrities and have become more celebrated as leaders. Uh, but they've, we've kind of created this, oh, this, uh, I don't know, this uh, perfect storm in, so, in American society where that's who they look to for everything. Advice on life, advice on fashion, advice on what music to listen to. Yeah. And so they've become authority, authority figures.
0: I guess you're right. I mean, and maybe that's really the case is because it, it really becomes a byproduct of celebrity and mass media. Because if you look at the difference from, I mean, just look at the podcast world, for example, the ones that are really successful, I mean, aside from the comedy ones, and take out the Adam Carolla. But no, let's talk about Adam Carolla. Why is his podcast so successful? Because, one, he taps into authenticity, you know. Adam Carolla's podcast is authentic. Oh good. You know what I mean? Okay. And and it doesn't, you know, and he kind of lambasts celebrity, even though he has, you know, celebrity. He's a celebrity, and he brings them on, but he kind of makes fun of it. So maybe that wasn't a good example. But if you look at all the ones that are really knocking out of the park, the one thing of all of them, the ones that are really generally attracting massive audiences, the one common core that they have is authenticity. And the one thing that is missing from the traditional mediums that we so you know that we still get most of our political news, the TV and cable and all that, they still haven't
2: figured that out. Do you think a big part of the population? This is occurring to me right now. A large part of the population, or a percentage, we'll just say that, think they're they're receiving a false authenticity because because let's just we'll say Donald Trump from his reality show, but whoever it is, we think that that's 100% authentic. We think that they are, they've revealed everything to us. They let us into their house. We see their day-to-day, what they go through and everything. So we think that's who he really genuinely is.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's a false authenticity that, that's been painted, so people think that he's saying what we want to say. He's saying he's actually being authentic.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'd probably say yes to that in a sense because, you know, reality TV's been with us in large measure for the last
2: 15 to 20 years, right? Right. And,
0: and yeah, and even they're all scripted, you know?
2: Yeah. Nowadays, for about the past 10 years, they have all been loosely scripted. Loosely
0: scripted. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah.
0: It's like, hey, Devin, you know, Richard's bringing your enemy over to have a conversation. And I want you to go in there yeah. and confront them, you know.
2: Yeah. I have a friend that was on one of the ones where they go into the uh, storage lockers and kind of go through oh, yeah, the stuff. Oh, yeah, storage wars and type find thing. treasures, yeah, yeah. supposedly. And he said that they plant all the, the cool stuff to be found. Do they
0: really? Yeah, yeah. well, they, you know, I, I understand that. But, yeah, to your point, though, do people realize that? Right. I think more and more they do, but the general population probably doesn't, you know. I think you're right. And they think that, yeah, this is what it is, and... I don't know, man, but I think I, it's just crazy to watch. I think I, the heroes, the type of leaders that I would like to be see emulated and have, you know, it's just they're not celebrated Very in right. in the general circles. They certainly are celebrated in our circles, right? And and the circles we run in and the, and the things we listen to, they're big yeah. and they have a lot of reach. Yeah. But God, look at all the—I mean, just look at the responses that you get on Facebook or the people that reach out and that listen to the show and they reach out to me. Everybody's wanting the same thing. They just want to matter. And they want to know that what they're doing is real and, and, you know, and that it's significant.
2: Speaking of that, is there any, in the time that we have left, is there anything that somebody's written in or asked us to talk about or or asked something on? Oh, yeah, you know,
0: great question. Yeah, I did get, um, I did get, I I reached out and I said, and I'm great that you brought that up. Um, Yeah, the one question that was kind of um, an underlying theme or at least I saw a handful of that kind of the same thing they did ask the question you know how do you when you're in a situation in an organization or a situation where somebody is that kind of domineering over the top maybe even a one person put bully in their question Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know And, every, and everybody knows it's not the right way to follow, but they're kind of like a bully leader or larger-than-life or, or an imposing leader. Like, how do you deal with that situation?
2: Your leader is that. Is the what leader is that yeah. way.
0: Like, you, you work in a place and, you know, the guy's the stereotypical kind of bully, you know? But he gets results. One guy said that in the question, too. He's a bully, but he gets results. And I worked for it, and speaking of it, I just thought of this. I had... Um, Boss that I worked for, and we were like oil and water. And he—no kidding—he came during my week, my performance review. And this comes on a year. I was uh, I, the first year I was there. He ranked me number one out of seven of his of his directors. Come a year later, and he, we started clashing during that the next year. He started doing some weird things and this and that. And he was getting some pressure from a different boss up here. And he just started changing. You know, he was kind of flaky. He came. He said to me he pulled out an article, and I wish I could remember who wrote this article. But he said, you know what, Richard, you need to be more of a jerk. You're too nice. He goes, you need to be more of a hard ass to your people. You need to be more of a jerk. He said those exact words. And he gave me an article that said, see, being a jerk isn't so bad. This came from like Harvard Business Review or something. And it had all this empirical, air quotes, evidence of how being a jerk produced results and that's what we need. And I disagreed completely. I said, I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm not going to be something that I'm not. be. You
2: can't do that. You can't right. be what you're not.
0: And I go, I'm not going to do it. I said, and he gave an example and, and this is the time when... Uh, Steve Jobs had just died, and Jobs' okay. biography was hot, right? right? And everybody's reading Steve Jobs' biography. And he goes, and,
2: and he, Steve was somebody that was difficult to work right.
0: with. Right, and he and so he hadn't read the whole book yet. I hadn't read it up to that point. I read the whole thing. And he had said, he goes, see, you know, and people, they, they talked to those people who were there when he was creating, you know, the Apple from the very beginning in the 80s and everything else, and they were working 22 hours, and Steve would rant and rave and said, you know, this guy was so happy with what he did, and Steve would walk in and said. Yeah, that sucks. You can do better, you know. And the guy's right. crushed, and right. and they talk about it with fondness and everything else. And see, and they produced, well, they made this apple. So it's kind of hard to argue against that, I guess. And I said, but you're forgetting the point of the transformation that Steve made up into his death.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he missed a uh, hundred of his other speeches.
0: Yeah, and he wouldn't. He would tell you he wouldn't. He was embarrassed by how he was in that way. Did it produce some great results? Yeah, it produced some magic. But just like going through boot camp, mm. I, yeah, that's a good. Point. I wouldn't want to do that again. <laughs> and I, but were. I talk, but I talk about it with fondness, yeah. especially with the guys that were with me. But that doesn't mean I want to relive it. And that, and so anyway, my point was, it's out there. People think you got to be this kind of, you know, hit you over the head with a wiffle ball bat to get results. And I'm like, that's not leadership. That's assault. You know, <laughs> so you know.
2: It may, what the thing that comes to my mind when when and I I think I can honestly say that I I've never been in that situation. Um, if I have, I didn't notice it. It didn't register with me. I didn't
0: w- working with a kind of a bully right persona. I, I, yeah. I,
2: I think I've become in a place, and I don't know if you've told the listeners before, but I'm Buddhist. Yeah, and you know one of the things that we we hold a lot is. I, I carry around. I carry around. Though I say carry around. I, I it's a, 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 something that I carry in my head. And I, I don't want to say it's a mantra, but you know, we always believe that the best way to defeat your enemy is to increase their capacity for happiness.
0: So <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Right. I love that because and, and you know and it goes kind of in line with what I would say to answer that question is like what would I do or what have I done in those situations. I did everything I could to make that person a better leader.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Increase their capacity for happiness. I remember, I remember, my daughter came home once and told me her teacher hated her. You know, every kid's done oh, that. This teacher hates me. Right. And I thought, you know, after thirty-five years of teaching, however many thousands of kids, she picked you to hate. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That seems highly <laughs> unlikely. Right. Right. Um, and I and and I went on to explain that you know if you go there and you do what you're supposed to do and you don't cause any trouble or anything, they can't they can't do anything to you you know the, if you if you live a life of integrity and honesty and, and you work hard you do all the things that we've talked about in previous episodes, if you are just genuine and authentic and do what you're supposed to do, nobody can touch you nobody. I'll never ever know what it's like to go to jail for DUI because I don't drink. <laughs> right. I'll never know that. Right. You know that it's 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 not like some, somebody's going to pick me up and it's going to just happen. Right. Um, now, are there people that are wrongly arrested? Yeah. That does happen. So yes, I understand. There's exceptions exceptions that to that. But as a, on a real level, you know, there are things where if you just do it the right way. You're, you don't have to worry about right. that. And if, if you, like you said, if you really make, turn, help help him into a good leader, because usually somebody like that is receiving pressure from somebody else.
0: Yeah, or that behavior is coming from a place of scarcity and insecurity. And mm. once you recognize that, it's never coming from a place of abundance and strength, ever. Right. If somebody's bullying or somebody's overcompensating, you know, being over the top, it's, they're, it's coming from an insecure place. And so, if you as a leader behind the scenes can do something, and this is where it gets hard because you got to maybe swallow some pride. Now, you don't need to sacrifice your principles. I mean, right. If somebody's doing something illegal, eth- and oh, kind immoral, of yeah, yeah. you don't need to help them become a better leader. <laughs> but if the guy is just being a jerk, what can, turn it back to yourself, and what can you do to make that person become be a, six- a co-leader? Exactly.
2: You know, it's it's an education process. If they. Well, I just keep thinking of the the quote that I gave you earlier. If you increase their capacity for happiness. Yeah, that's a
0: great way to look at it. I love that quote. It is a great mindset, and I think you're right. And that's... I think that if you're gonna step in the leadership or dip your foot in the leadership pool that is a mindset that you have to adopt if you don't then you're just kind of being a typical manager and if you're bitching about it and you're kind of complaining you're not doing any good either that's not right. leadership you're just right. you're just and it's fun and it's easy to bitch and moan and say god that guy's a jerk and he's he never but if you want to do something that's hard and the right thing how do you make that person a better leader you know yeah man this has been fun man 35 minutes I'm hope i didn't take up too much of the time and you turning the the tables on me there but i (laughs) love i love talking with you Devin. i think it's it's one of the true joys that i have and i hope our listeners are getting some value out of it you know one thing that is exciting i don't know if you know um, and it's getting a lot of traction and uh, there'll be more to this on follow because i think this is going to expand out of our city but uh, you and i are going to put on a and our other compadres are going to put on a Conference that we call the Grit and Grind Conference. We just kind of said, "Hey, we're doing this. We're launching it. You know, yeah. We we got the the the, the URL and we built the website just to get. We're doing this. And, booking and speakers. We're booking speakers and we're finding a venue.
2: And it's not going to be your typical listen to somebody's success story. We're it's called the Grit and Grind Conference, and what it's going to be is the authentic stuff, the stuff that we really want to hear that that you really want to hear that you want the answers to the uncomfortable stuff the the uh, the grit and the grind and the grind
0: you know it, it's it's so true it's like if people want to hear those stories and even if you look at like a TED conference i was thinking about this as i was driving in dev and it's like you, you know why do people like ted it's because the ted speakers are telling stories it's not like they're coming up with boring powerpoints they're telling real authentic right. stories we're just kind of doing that in the sense of particularly with starting a business or changing your life. It is about entrepreneurship, but that shouldn't scare people away. It is for the entrepreneur that's sitting on the couch going, God, I'd like to do something bigger with my life, but everybody's telling me you're either born an entrepreneur or not. How do you even know until you Mm -hmm. you surround yourself with like-minded folks, people who, because the reason why stories are so powerful, and our friend uh, Carlos Fernandez, which is an amazing story, which we captured Out of the Mud, you know, you take a guy like Carlos and he thought, Hey, my job is to inspire young other Hispanic kids and mm-hmm. and that makes sense. But what he finally just realized in the last year is like if he opens up his heart with authenticity and story, he starts to inspire forty seven year old middle class no. white dudes <laughs> that who never thought they could be entrepreneurs. Right, that's true. And so it's much more powerful than just yeah. you know, helping what from he come from his background. Right. And that's why the stories are so powerful and that's why we want to do this conference. So Anybody out there can at least feel inspired and maybe aspire to 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 be to start being intentional about doing something significant.
2: And, and if anyone out there is interested, it's we're shooting for the middle of May, the second or third week, the end of the second or third week in May uh, here in Wichita, um, and we'll keep everybody posted. Um, Other than that, I think the last thing I got to say is what John Lennon said. All you need is love, right?
0: All you need is love. What did Ringo say? Peace and love? Peace Peace and love. love, (laughs) All right, Devin, man, this is fun. Thanks for doing this again, and uh, we'll talk next time. See you guys next time.
1: Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.